Hello and welcome to another wonderful, extra special, extracurricular episode of Normandy FM. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, Ken, I'm so happy. You're happy? I'm happy. You know why I'm happy, don't you? Clap your hands. I mean, that's that's always... We always clap our hands before we start this podcast. We do, it's I guess that was... Part of, it's part of the ritual. <laughs> uh, no, I'm very happy because we have passed a new Patreon tier on Patreon. Uh, as, as many of you who listen to the show know, we do have a Patreon to help keep the lights on and to, to keep Ken and I going through this. Also, to sometimes cover the cost of buying the video games for this show. Because it turns out that sometimes, sometimes... It's difficult to play a video game in 2020, <laughs> and mm. we're about to start going down that dark, dark road because uh, we have reached the tier where we will be playing Jade, Jade Empire for Normandy FM. I am so excited. We're going to play Jade Empire. I'm going to finally see what this game is all about. I've never played Jade Empire in my mm. life. I, I literally have not played one second of it, and I do not know anything about it except for maybe one thing. I think I know one plot point, but I don't know if that's from Jade Empire or Shenmue. <laughs> so, oh, Jesus I, Christ. Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's that's literally how little I know about Jade Empire, is that uh, I sometimes think that there is a plot point in that game that I think might also be a plot point. In, does, does your father die in Jade Empire? You know, I haven't played the game in 15 years, so I don't remember. I'm pretty sure father dying is the Shenmue plot point, because I know that's a Shenmue plot point. I don't remember if that's a Jade Empire plot point. Um, that's how little I know about this game. I'm so excited to go in pretty much completely blind, uh, but we won't be doing that until the start of next year because uh, as we're looking at the schedule right now, uh, Dragon Age is going to take us fully through the end of this year. Uh, like Likely probably up through the last week of this year because there are even points on our schedule our tentative inquisition schedule that we have that are probably going to get expanded out and built upon and more weeks will be added more guests will be added because of that but all things considered uh that does mean that once we get into the new year and we've had a proper amount of time for us to take a breath from dragon age uh we will be getting into the jade empire going deeper into the bioware vault uh and it's all thanks to you guys. It's all thanks to everyone who supports this Patreon. Honestly, I mean, when, when Ken and I started this thing, I can only speak for myself. I cannot speak for Ken here. But when, when we started this, I initially thought we were just going to get through the Mass Effect trilogy. And that'd probably be it. And, you know, it might be a big surprise if we managed to get to Andromeda. You know, maybe we have just enough goodwill from our own respective followings that we get to a point that we do Andromeda. And then Andromeda happens, I mean, before we finish Mass Effect 1, I'm pretty sure. At least Mass Effect 2. I want to say we were into Andromeda territory pretty fast. That's not bad. Um, and then, as we were doing Mass Effect 3, I think, was when we hit Dragon Age funding. Um, and that was a huge surprise. And then a recent surge of more listeners and more people and, and all of y'all just getting engaged. You know, we see y'all uh, on Twitter, you know, responding to things, hanging out, talking. Uh, whenever I throw up the stream to do a little bit of my Norm DFM playing, y'all come and hang out. It's super awesome to see that 
there is something of a community forming forming around this that's there's something of a listener base that we are developing and y'all actually care about listening to this and and hearing the critiques and the discussion and and all the talk of bioware past present future i mean we've had so many awesome guests we've had so many awesome people come on the show share their opinions share their love for the games share their critiques of the games and just really delve into it in a way that i did not think was possible for us to manage starting from just square zero and so uh this is really my long way of saying thank every single one of you so much that backs the patreon that listens to us weekly that just supports us so much and wants to hear this thing keep going we we see you we hear you we appreciate you and we're looking forward to taking this journey even further uh into the future uh on that note we do have a few more tiers ahead of us uh the big one is coming up that is kotor uh, that will be our next Patreon tier that we'll be trying to hit. Obviously, uh, both uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, I think this is just the first Knights of the Old Republic, not necessarily KOTOR 2, because that's, as I remember, it's not a Bioware game. Obsidian, I believe. Obsidian game, yes. Um, but we would play through Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, after that would be Anthem. Of course, I'm sure there's many of you who would love to hear the takes on anthem and uh all of that gesturing towards uh, you know by then it would probably be at the anthem 2.0 like the big overhaul so maybe oh, it'll yeah. be like worth playing maybe anthem will be a completely different game by the time we get to that goal who knows you can find can out say. if you keep us funding to that point and then once we get past that um you know, like I said earlier, when we made this, we kind of looked at the idea of making even over $100 a month on Patreon as something that was unreachable by any stretch of the imagination. It was definitely something that I was like, yeah, sure, you know, if we hit that, sure. And now that it suddenly seems so much more of reality that we're already halfway to the point of reaching all the tiers that we would have achieved up to this point uh ken and i were talking before the show uh we need to start to think about what this patreon looks like in the long term in terms of uh what this uh becomes in terms of what we cover especially if we knock out all the tiers that we have so far and there's still listener interest in in hearing us get together and and talk about video games uh it then becomes a question of okay well where where do we go from here so uh that's that's a question for not now that's a question for like a year from now listener don't worry but it's something that we are thinking so some of those upper echelons and things like that uh are possibly subject to change as we assess exactly what we want to do and how we want to achieve uh that and really just deliver the best thing we can to the fans because that's that's all we really want at the end of the day um that's that's what we're here for that's what keeps us going every day is the support because it really does it means the world that that people want to hear us podcasting like this uh ken and i have been podcasting for ages together so to have have a very tangible benefit have a very tangible representation of what that is is really cool um on that note we've got dragon age to talk about today ken we do We've got a lot of Dragon Age to talk about, really, because uh, the way that this is kind of structured, this act, 
we've got kind of a series of main quests with a bunch of companion quests maybe a handful of side quests tossed in there the side quests are really not in depth or interesting uh that being said i'm still probably going to play through them uh just because i know that the majority of the side quests in act two lead up to something in act three where you get to fight a dragon and that sounds pretty awesome <laughs> so i'm all about that you know in a game called dragon age it's, it's important that we do fight some dragons every now and then uh we will be looking at those we won't necessarily be spending a ton of time on those uh, but the main quests that we have for this act are kind of split between the first episode and the last episode, and all the companion quests are sandwiched in the, t- in the between, and we did that because that lets Ken and I kind of focus on doing the main story stuff, so that way when we bring guests on, it can be a little bit more focused. Uh, we can talk about specific characters, specific beats, and really dive into that stuff without having to also be like, oh, by the way, there's this side quest and all that. Um, you know, we've, I think definitely over the course of recording the show, we've we've noticed that conversations are much more interesting when we get to just talk about the characters and we get to just talk about the the way that they develop and, and why we care about them, you know, because who knows? Yeah, Bioware game. <laughs> Turns out people <laughs> like the characters in the Bioware games. Who knew that? <laughs> Uh, so today we will be talking about Black Powder Courtesy, we will be talking about Offered and Lost, we will be talking about Prime Suspect, and also we'll be heading over to the Alienage to deal with some Night Terrors, uh, and that will be kind of all the things that we hit today. Also, at the very end of the podcast, uh, if you want to stick around for it, I recommend you do, Ken and I will be talking about the recent reports of a mass effect remaster obviously we've got some thoughts so with that tease out of the way ken black powder courtesy uh, we got to talk about where we are in act two now because now that we're out of the deep roads we're safe and sound our sibling has now either kind of told us to screw off and went and joined the templars or is being held in the gallows we're now three years in the future we've jumped but you wouldn't know it by what you wouldn't know it by anything that anybody says no, because much much like Mass Effect, when Hawk is not present, time stops and <laughs> nothing of importance happens. So we got to wait for Hawk to, to get out of the time skip and get back in and then we can start dealing with uh, things that are happening in Kirkwall. Uh, I will say that the thing I like about the time skip is it lets it feel like, like Hawk is there in the long term because I think a lot of RPGs one of the things that has always bothered me about them is how it seems like overnight a character goes from i am this you know i'm a poor boy from a small town with a a friend who's the chosen one who's going to go on their pilgrimage or whatever and i'm just describing final fantasy 10 i know but (laughs) or proto trigger or i am setsuna or many other games uh and instead it's more like this is this happens over time hawk does you know hawk is definitely a capable warrior from the beginning of the game but the status that hawk gains and the way that hawk grows into the consciousness of kirkwall happens over time and so i feel it's important to represent that Mm -hmm. however that means that some of the things that happen let's say specifically the um the personal relationships that develop (laughs) here uh have very 
stilted <laughs> development. Um, I, I, I guess I, I suppose you could say that, you know, maybe Hawk wasn't getting up to a lot in the meantime. You know, they're rich now. For three we own years. We own a mansion. We're just doing rich people things, man. We're you know, just doing rich stuff. And, you know, Fenris is hanging out in an empty mansion, throwing wine <laughs> bottles at the wall. And Meryl's living in poverty. And Anders is living in poverty. And I don't know where Varric lives. I think I think Varric and, and Isabella both just sleep at the hangman. Like, just pass out on the I mean, floor and then wake up the next there day. There are chairs and benches to sit on and lay on. I, I suppose i suppose uh so that is one like weird wrinkle of all this especially not necessarily now but in terms of we're, we're getting to the point now where romance is starting to develop mm-hmm. and become a thing in this game uh we'll talk about that in a minute don't you worry mm. <laughs> but uh the the biggest part where this time skip you know oh things are happening becomes apparent is that Act 2 opens with Hawk talking to Viscount Dumar, who is, you know, the, the Viscount of Kirkwall. And Dumar is trying to organize a meeting with the Arishak, the Kunari Arishak, um, who has requested Hawk by name as someone to be like the go between, between the between Kirkwall, the city, and between the, the Kunari. So uh we're kind of in a situation where we have to start playing the go between between these parties and obviously uh tensions have been rising but it feels really weird for it to be like oh it's been three years and the canari still haven't left mm-hmm. when tensions were already kind of starting to simmer before the time skip uh you just kind of get the sense that a lot has been put on hold <laughs> uh so we start had on- at this very particular moment yes um well we'll just wait for hawk uh so we head on down there obviously if isabella's uh in the party she you know is like i i got something else to do uh i I gotta go um and if you do try to like continue with your visit then isabella will just straight up take off just leave (laughs) funny about that uh wow yeah it's it's strange who could have who could have figured um we we go in and we learned that Javaris, who was the dwarf that we helped with, I forget what the name of it was, it was Black Powder uh, Promise. Black Powder Promise. Mm. Uh, it was the dwarf that tried to convince us that if we killed a bunch of uh, Talvashoth, then, you know, we could get the gunpowder recipe, the Gatlock recipe from the Canari. Uh, Javaris has made off with a with a formula that was used as a decoy and here's the part that really gets me okay so you find out okay he made off with a formula the thief mm-hmm. has taken a formula and the air shock's like don't worry don't worry it was a decoy and i'm like oh great so you gave him like the recipe for i don't know like apple pie or something right he's like nah it's for poison gas <laughs> and i'm like what <laughs> but not for us for yeah, everybody but yeah. us the air shock's like oh don't worry it doesn't hurt canary and i'm like well what about everyone who's not canary he's like ah. <laughs> <laughs> um oh boy um it it it's it's really something uh yeah so we we soon learn that there is somebody who has found a formula is trying to sell a formula for gatlock 
and even if it's not actually Gatlock and not an explosive, somebody has the formula for some poison, you could probably still do a lot of damage wherever it gets put. So, um, we gotta go take care of that. Now, if we have Varric with us, Varric is very smart. Varric knows about these things. He'll tell us, hey, we should go talk to the Coterie, which is a faction that we have not talked about much up to this point, which I don't think they've been a major player no, up until no. Act 2. Um, the Coterie is kind of the the main, like, seedy underworld guild of Kirkwall. Uh, we'll start to encounter more players from the Coterie as this goes on. There's specifically one quest that happens uh, where you encounter them. But in general, uh, they are kind of this the seedy underground thieves' guild. Uh, if If they're not there... Uh, after the conversation ends, we'll get kind of a hint that the coterie might be a good idea. Uh, so we head we head down to that dark town, and uh, we try to find whoever wherever Javaris has been selling his goods, and we find out from a barker of sorts that that Javaris is, has left in a hurry and has left some some people a little angry afterwards. So we chase after, and we end up fighting. A bunch of bodyguards that have been hired to keep Javaris safe. And as we learn from them, uh, and from Javaris, who is there, an elf has framed him for the stealing of the Gatlock, and he's kind of taken off in response to everyone suspecting him, the most obvious mm. person. <laughs> so um, this kind of leads us to our first major decision, uh, which, you know, is whether or not we kill Javaris. Mm. Um, I let him live. I didn't yep. see much reason in killing yep. him. It's like, what more could you possibly do to me right now? Yeah, but I was basically just like, hey, you know, there's... Just don't come back to Kirkwall. Right. It's probably not a good idea for you to come back to Kirkwall. And he makes a funny joke about, like, looting all the boots and stuff off of the bodyguards, where he's like, the last bit of coin I can get out of them or whatever. Mm. Um, he's he, He's funny. I like that character, yeah. even though he's he's kind of just there to to be a distraction because as we soon found out the elf has taken everything to lowtown and lowtown is coated in the poisonous mist of the canary poison gas so here comes a really frustrating fight yeah well first did you did you notice any sort of like actual tangible effect of this this poison that we're walking uh, through of the gas yeah you take you take damage over time from it mm, but i didn't really I, notice that on my end but it's I don't it's if... very mild it's okay. very mild uh you're playing a mage right <laughs> is your constitution pretty high at this point uh no actually i had um i kind of like right like it was around this point where i was like oh i should probably start investing into some more things beyond just like will uh willpower and uh magic because that has been like like my mana is like halfway across the screen but my health is like very very much not so and yeah i'm i'm at the point now where i'm going like okay i'm up to i think i have at least a 50 percent crit chance on my auto attacks and it's probably higher given some of my passives so it's probably closer to like 70 percent crit chance mm-hmm. uh and really that's like the build i go for on dual blade rogue is i just want to i get assassinate in twin fang and i kill someone with that <laughs> and mm. that's just kind of what i do i use those abilities you know stealth and i use those abilities i stealth mm. back out 
I just kind of bop around the fight a little bit. You know, maybe I backstab and do some auto attacks, but really I'm just there to like assassinate. Yeah. Um, and I'm at the point now where I have so much crit chance. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have some level of constitution because I'm at the point now where if somebody like who's a higher rank enemy and we'll fight somebody in a later mission that made me really realize that I probably need a little bit more health just to be able to survive like a mild sneeze in my direction Mm. and also because my willpower is pretty low too uh and that's kind of the one bummer about being rogue is that you're incentivized to dump points into dexterity and cunning which is very good because that means that you can kind of maximize both your attack speed and your damage at the same time which is something that's harder for other classes to do i think Mm -hmm. Uh, at least for warrior i know warrior has to split it between their attack speed and their attack damage because their attack damage is on strength but uh for rogue you get the benefit of you're going to attack faster you're going to do more damage and you're going to have a higher chance of critting as well but the trade-off is that you have to go out of your way to get more stamina (laughs) and uh it feels real bad to not put points into the thing that makes you kill things faster as a rogue so but i am at that point where i need to survive a sneeze so uh anyways i mentioned that because I, i had I had Anders with me anyways, so he was he was keeping us pretty healed. I mean, he's mm-hmm. at the point now where he's got all the different benefits of the vengeance uh, spirit stuff. So mm-hmm. he's just, I mean, if you take those talents plus a pretty well maxed out healing side, uh, he can pretty much keep your entire team topped off and yep. constantly raise people as well, um, which is just fantastic. Yeah, I don't... I, I've... Uh... For Act 2, like, there are reasons to want to have had everybody in your party kind of more to like, get particular friendship or rivalry benefits. And so I didn't have Anders in my uh, party for the first time, like, all game in some of these missions. Mm-hmm. And it uh, did not work out well to not have that around. <laughs> yeah. You really noticed. It's like, um, oh, I'm down to only Fenris all of a sudden. Yeah. No, I, I had a few of those moments where I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll have fun with this one and I'll roll uh my character isabella varick and aveline and aveline can tank everything so it won't matter that i have three rogues and everyone's dead (laughs) (laughs) and aveline's look aveline's great but she literally her job is to stand there and generate so much threat that nobody attacks my rogues but the problem is like my rogues generate massive amounts of threat so it doesn't really balance out so aveline just kind of stands there in her like not moving not attacking position being like i'm holding them down hawk (laughs) and hawk's just like getting killed by eight different people in the corner um aveline's got like just one character on her i've got this hawk (laughs) i'm distracting him for you (laughs) um it's like goofy and kingdom hearts all over again uh so as once once we take out the gas or at least some of the gas and this is the part where i thought that the battle was frustrating because it wasn't necessarily that the battle itself is difficult but there's you have to find these valve things mm-hmm. to put on the canisters that drop from the bodies after each wave and for some reason picking that stuff up with a mouse and keyboard is just impossible like mm-hmm. it's you have to pixel hunt for that thing so i was like right. super frustrated with that yeah. uh but how then did, we have yeah. what's up well I was like how did the 
the game run for you when you got to this point? Because on 360, the game just, like, couldn't... Like, the system could not handle it. It was just chugging. And, like, it's a very busy segment because, like, you know, the poison's going off. Oh, yeah. There are a bunch of enemies around. And if you're like me who plays Mage, all of my attacks are very... Like, they take up the screen, so, like, a lot of shit There's is happening at once. fire happening. <laughs> yeah. Um... No, mine was fine on PC. Um, it ran pretty well. I haven't had any issues so far mm. in terms of like optimization or things running well, which honestly, all things considered, I'm surprised by because Dragon Age Origins had hitching problems that mm. kind of surprised me on PC. Um, and even, you know, when we were playing Mass Effect, I played all the Mass Effect games on PC except for Andromeda, which I played on PS4 uh, just because I didn't want to buy. A second version of Andromeda, um, but also because Mass Effect uh, Three on the PC had moments where it chugged, like mm. when you're fighting the the Reaper on Tachanka and stuff like that. Mm. It it really kind of like it was struggling. But Dragon Age Two, I was talking about this on my most recent stream that I did the other night, but like it is pretty well optimized mm. as far as I can tell still looks good by modern standards like i was even uh someone in my chat shout outs to uh chef lubu down there at a uh, battle and brew who was hanging out in the chat for a while was asking me about you know like are there hd remaster mods for for dragon h2 mm-hmm. on pc and i was i was saying like honestly i haven't seen any most of them have been those really dumb like oh here's a different hairstyle for somebody like those are right. those are fine the, the reason why i call it dumb is because there was that one that was like here's hot aveline and i was right. like that's stupid <laughs> uh aveline is beautiful just the way she is uh please stop trying to make aveline's face look like morgan's uh mm-hmm. that, that that does nobody a service um that's not even counting the worst ones i saw uh but I didn't really see any HD mods, and now that I'm playing it, I mean, Dragon Age 2 on PC comes with a thing that you can download that's called, like, the the high-definition pack or something like that, like the HD pack, mm. and basically the idea is that it's high-definition high textures. I think it's supposed to literally be, like, 1080p textures and all that, mm. So, and I'm playing at 1920 by 1080p, so, um, you know, that's not a miracle by today's 4k standards but the textures still look good the character models look good mm-hmm. the only thing that really looks that dated um it's like the hair you know obviously you can tell that the hair was made um last right. gen and and some of like the clothes you know they don't have the details that you would normally expect they don't flow they look kind of like very static uh, and also the lighting, you know, yeah, lighting that... is one thing that I think has really improved generation over generation and will right. continue to improve generation over generation. And you can really tell that this is like a last gen game in terms of lighting, because right. it's kind of just like, are you in the darkness or are you in the light? Right. Like there'll be times while walking, walking to like a, you know, a more well lit area and it looks like a flash from a camera just went off my, in my hog's face yeah yeah and and meanwhile you're in this poisonous side alley where all this gas is leaking it's supposed to kind of be like evening maybe nighttime and it's still pretty bright out like i feel feel like i could read a book using natural (laughs) light uh anyways imagine that reading books (laughs) Mm. which Uh, you can make eric too if you support our patreon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a side joke to something that ken and i were discussing before the podcast i read books damn it ken 
<laughs> but he's really upset about having to do more of that. It's a, on a weekly basis, okay? <laughs> I have X number of hours in the day. Um, but if you pay enough money, I'll do anything. That's what my life has been. <laughs> you pay me enough money, I'll do something. So, uh, as we learn from the Elven fanatic who has released all this stuff, uh, she's mad because apparently elves who she says have lost their heritage, uh, referring to the Dalish, um, they're, they're leaving to join the Kune to find purpose. Um, so basically, we, this is how we learn the elves in the alienage have been leaving to join the Kunari and, and follow the Kune. Um, so she, she decided to steal the, the Gatlock powder and cause some natural disasters and then by those being Kunari weapons, uh, they'd be able to lay the blame at the Kunari's feet and thus blame the Kunari for what happened, and that would incite civil war. Hey, almost like there's a theme going on in all these main missions that mm. we're going to be dealing with. <laughs> uh, she's uh, she, This is not exactly what she intended to do, but she's basically like, oh, whatever, you know, however I can break the omelet, I'm going to make it happen, so let's let's just fight uh so you know you deal with her you, you kill her and then we can go back and talk to the air shock and kind of give him a heads up on what's been happening um as as we learn he's basically like yeah yeah elves have been coming to us he's like we're not going to turn anyone away that wants to join the the cune follow the code but we learned something a little bit more interesting ken and this is maybe well, our first big gasp moment of Dragon Age 2. Uh, it's, it's not really that big a deal, but I I still think it's a little interesting. Uh, the Aeroshock kind of finally breaks down and is like... He literally like loses his composure telling you this. Uh, he cannot return to Parvalen, which is where the Canari live because there was an item that was stolen that was placed under his care uh so he's basically like we cannot leave until we have retrieved this item that's why we're still here and and you get the sense that he's basically like being shamed by the canary in a way mm. and he has to stay here and it, it's being like frowned upon that's been taking this long uh you can kind of like poke the bear a little bit um if Meryl's there, mm. <laughs> make a little, a little quip if you mm. want. Um, but we finally get the sense that, like, hey, this is... There's some tension going on. Also, that the Aeroshock is starting to lose some of that composure right. that he had the last time we saw him. Right. Uh, how'd, how'd you feel about the Aeroshock stuff at this point? Because at this point, I was... Again, like I talked earlier about uh, how much I like the Aeroshock as an antagonist. Mm. Yep. And this was definitely another point where I was like, I like this character a lot because he, he gets to, you know, he doesn't have necessarily malicious reasons for wanting to stay, but you can see kind of how his reasoning turns and, mm. and how his, you know, his end goal is he wants this item back. And the things that he does in throughout the course of this act are all in service of that. Mm-hmm. But he's also just incredibly ashamed because he's supposed to be this conquering warlord, this this great leader of Kunari, exemplar of the Kune, and 
he can't find one item in a relatively small city. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I like it because up to this point, he, like he, and I guess like by extension, the rest of the Canari that are here, they are not, they've been kind of more like a force of nature kind of character as opposed to like mm. a person that we kind of like see yeah. the nuance of at this point. But then, you know, he does, he like loses his shit in front of us. And I don't know if that's necessarily determined by whether or not he respects you at this point, like enough to have that moment where he like views you as a person that he wants to at least, I don't know, unload this in front of, because like there has been sort of this in the background, this system going on of like, whether or not he trusts us or even respects us, I guess is the word that they probably I th- would use. I think what it's called is, like, the the quest, when you complete it, is called, like, Worthy of the Airshock's Respect or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah. Which also gives you an idea of how the Airshock views just about everyone in Kirkwall. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's all relative at this point. Yeah. I mean, even even when we first meet the Airshock, he, he gives us a sense he's like, these people in the city are not worthy of my attention my respect my regards and and you know he makes the notice especially if you've earned some of the points up to this point to say like hawk is different hawk is not the same as the rest of the rabble um so things things have not gone well so far but uh hopefully we'll have a way to turn it around so we head back to viscount dumar and uh Count Dumar might have lost a delegate. <laughs> so um apparently a, a delegation that was sent from the Canari uh was was on its way to meet with Viscount Dumar and did meet with Viscount Dumar, then left and disappeared, and nobody's seen him since. Great. Yep. <laughs> you love to see. Yeah, so um so something's something's going on here. So we, we gotta go question some people uh there's maybe one of my favorite dialogues to start this so we go talk to seneschal bran uh and and we get the sense that there's probably like he he says something like there's not a way something as massive as a canary delegation could have been spirited away without anyone seeing how unless the city guard was involved right like that just makes sense right and and if you have aveline in the party she's kind of like I want names. You know, she's pissed about this. But there's a great line, and I hope that you got it too, but uh, he says something, Bran says something like, I wonder where uh, people of, you know, of that ill repute would go Mm. in the city. And your party's like, hangman, hangman, Mm. definitely the hangman. Yeah, I got that. It's so good. It's really it's sold really well um and i'm actually i'm reading on the wiki now that with a full party uh two people will call it out uh anders and fenris are the ones who will uh be the most likely to call it out i had my party was like aveline merrill and Varric, and mm. which is kind of like my standard party at this point uh, unless i'm really needing the healing and i bring in anders but uh i should, probably should bring anders along more often considering where i'm at right now with a certain relationship but we'll talk about this after (laughs) on this quest um but uh yeah meryl and varic were both immediately like hangman definitely the hangman yeah (laughs) and it's i like that and also reading the wiki i like that 
it will always be your full party regardless it's not like a very context or companion specific thing but it will always be them all kind of like chiming in because mm. again like we've talked about this with a lot of bioware games is that they often struggle to make the party feel like an actual party mm. and that was something that i don't feel mass effect got right until mass effect 3 yep. um yeah mass effect 2 had its moments with the suicide mission and all that but that was where they could be like okay well we know that you're going to have all these characters in one area for gameplay reasons so like we can do that there won't be those oh i went to go recruit tali and then i did the the collectorship mission and then i did another thing um no here they get to be like okay we know what characters you have at this point Mm. um but there are ways to kind of get around that and i think this is like very because you could not have i think fenris and isabella at this Mm. point yeah uh for various story reasons or i think even anders i think anders can leave by this point Uh, depending on when you do this quest because he can leave in this act right no i thought thought anders does does an important thing that means he has to be around for the whole game. In Act 2? I mean, he still needs to be there, like, from... Okay, I thought there... We can talk about this later. I thought there was a point after his companion quest where you could make a comment that would make him leave, but maybe I'm thinking of Fenris. I could be thinking of Fenris. Um, Because Fenris has a point where he can actually leave. Right. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that's yeah anyways we'll talk about that more in the specific companion episode but there could be various party members that you have with you at this point and still it's coded in that's like okay we're just going to check priority like who's here and then and we'll have the voice lines recorded all that it's like it's such a small thing but it's what reminds me that these are all characters that hang out with each other that talk to each other that Mm -hmm. you know like that do things when hawk is not there right and like also it makes this world feel more lived in because you get the sense that like oh there's time passing and in that time passing they are hanging out with each other they're talking to each other they're having their own little individual adventures or they're catching up while they're hanging out with hawk you know Mm. uh they'll be like oh so how are things going with so-and-so and and stuff like that we'll talk about that in another episode but uh someone made the comment while i was running around with aveline and they were like oh how are things going with you know who and it's like oh yeah this is like these characters know each other and hang mm-hmm. out with each other it's just something that i really like about dragon h2 specifically yeah. um, that i feel it just nails super well mm. uh, anyways as we as we head out on our merry way to go to the hangman uh we find orwald who is a pretty uh happy guard who is buying drinks for all his friends and at this point we can either fight him uh to get information out of him or uh at least for me we can call on our dear friend Aveline. Mm-hmm. and did you do this as well yes, yeah oh it's so good mm-hmm. Aveline basically just is like he's like i'm i'm the guard and i'm buying drinks for all my friends and you're like what about the captain of the guard he's like captain of the guard <laughs> he turns around and Aveline's just standing there just like name who mm. <laughs> it's so good um oh i i really i really like that character apparently there's certain items that you can only get if you fight him that are like as part of a set or whatever no. um i'm not i don't care a lot about getting this set i like the champion set is the one that i care about in this mm. game because that one is just the coolest armor in a video game like ever it just <laughs> looks rad <laughs> it's 
it's the most like middle schooler i drew this in the margins of my notebook armor ever and so i have to have it have you I seen the, hawk. like because you know you know that armor like different it's different depending on your class have you seen yeah. the weird like plate thing that is like jettisoned out of the mage robes champion robes, oh like out i need to see that of, like the I chest take a look and at like that. i feel like you could just like smash hawk's face into that and i don't i'm not about it <laughs> <laughs> feels like a liability yeah um well how much to make out with fenris in this we look there are ways that we can make out with fenris and that you know it's <laughs> uh, but uh no there's i the armor in this game is cool but at this point it's like very much serving a function not really mm. serving a form yet. yeah i, I did um, finally find one for uh like instead of like these long ass robes that you typically have to have as a mage, I found like one that like it's form fitting. It looks like something somebody would wear naturally and just walking around. And I'm not gonna take it off until I get the champion armor because everything else looks terrible. You know, it's funny. I haven't thought about it much, but of all the games that have armor customization in them. I really feel like Mass Effect 1 might have been the best because there were so mm. many different kinds of armor that all had different weight classes and looks and colors to them that, like, when you put new armor on a character, and that includes your squad mates. So, I mean, every game we've played since, except for, I guess, Ma Dragon Age Origins, but Dragon Age Origins had terrible, terrible mm. cosmetics. Just really, mm. ugh. <laughs> it's an ugly not game. good. Uh,. <laughs> Oh, that game. Uh, but in Mass Effect 2 and 3, and now in Dragon Age 2, uh, there's only, like, there are very few ways to change the look of your companions, and usually it's either, it's some sort of, like, holistic redoing of their armor. It's not really like, oh, I gave them an upgraded piece of armor, and now they have, like, a different visor, and their armor is a different color and all that. Like, you know, they... They have a very different approach. Mm. Um, I think Inquisition is one that finally gets back to the Mass Effect one sort of way of doing it. Where, like you have all these different types of armor, and like they, you even get like more customizable, probably than any other game I, I think that we've covered so far. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to delving into that stuff again because it got deep enough that it was like if I wanted to make my character look a certain way or even my companions look a certain way, there was a way to make it happen. Yeah, and I remember liking the cosmetic stuff in Inquisition a lot. It'll be interesting to see, because I actually still haven't decided what class I'm going to play in Inquisition yet. Mm. Um, you know, there's, I think there's an abundance of rogues in that game, and I also remember not liking rogue a lot when I tried it, but it's mm. been years. Yeah, I played mage when I first played through Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah. I felt like that one was really fun, and also it felt good because the characters that i wanted to take along were largely not mages so it like synced up well mm. there so i might still lean that way also i feel like it makes more sense if your character's a mage but that's just me uh there's there's a lot of stuff a lot to talk about with inquisition but i got, I got some soul searching to do but <laughs> in the meantime uh we we've basically got the proof as we learn from from our our dear friend orwald here that a templar with the seal of the grand cleric uh you know rolled up and was like hey you're gonna take these canari uh and i'm gonna deliver you're gonna bring them to me so we gotta head off to the chantry and really uh 
confront the the powers that be and and at the chantry we meet once again the mother of all karens Mm. patrice herself who has become a mother in the past three years not not a mother in the biological sense a mother (laughs) in the church sense to show that time has passed (laughs) Um, (laughs) she uh she she plays coy about the whole situation before eventually caving and telling you that it was her former bodyguard as she puts it uh sir varnell who organized the whole thing and has taken the canary prisoner for probably bad things (laughs) let's put it that way uh i don't believe a lick of it Mm. i don't trust her at all um and also the thing that really got me here is that after you've talked to her you can go talk to the grand cleric um whose name i'm suddenly blanking on Elthina. because Elthina, mm-hmm. yeah uh you can talk to her and basically be like hey by the way someone was using your seal to kidnap canari and she's just kind of like oh well the maker works in mysterious ways and i'm like that's not an answer <laughs> and at this point i hadn't really talked much to her so i was like grilling her on why don't you step in and do something like templars are doing some messed up stuff in Mm. kirkwall and i'm having to deal with it where are you she's basically like oh well if the chantry gets involved then suddenly it becomes a thing and sometimes you just need to let she she uses some like analogy it's like sometimes a mother knows that the best thing to do is to let the children learn on their own and i'm like yeah but the children learning is people dying <laughs> like, <laughs> good god yeah it's, it's the worst <laughs> maybe i start to not feel bad about certain developments that happen at the end of this game <laughs> oh no just saying oh, <laughs> dude i after so after i turned the stream off the other night i got through anders Mm. personal mission and this will be stuff that i promise i will save for those of you who are listening along and playing the game i will try not to not be spoilery like i just was but um there are thoughts that i've been having about the way this game portrays anders versus how it portrays hawk and sort of the way that their characters evolve over the course of the game that is maybe changing a bit of my stance on how I feel about Anders as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, granted, I don't know how much of this is intentional versus me reading into the text, but also, like, the way we read the text informs mm-hmm. how we discuss it. So, like, oh, there's there's stuff that I'm looking forward to talking to when we get to the end of this game really like specifically anders and his character uh we have some wonderful guests lined up to talk about anders and we're going to be delving into that character because i think it is he's probably the most interesting character in this game in terms of how this develops over time and and how Mm -hmm. he plays into the larger role of the game uh i'm looking forward to that but we've got to go take care of sir varnell first um as we head over to sir varnell's hideout uh, we quickly find that he has all of the Canari bound up to posts and there's a mob of fanatics around him and he's going to like execute them for the crowd. And Patrice does show up and is like, hey, 
this is bad and varnell's almost kind of like oh look a mother is here to support what we're doing and she's like literally says like the chantry blesses our whatever the fuck these yeah and she's like nah but check out hawk hawk probably doesn't like this right hawk how do you feel about this um and you can either say that you can be like hey go ahead and kill them and if you're an aggressive hawk, you can kill one of the Canari yourself, and then the other Canari will break out, and then you have to fight the Canari. Uh, and you will fight alongside Sir Varnell, mm-hmm. which is kind of messed up, all things yeah, considered. Yeah, there's like a... Uh, I mean, I guess we can talk about this more later, but like, there's, this is a, a quest that maybe doesn't outwardly state it, but there's a branching path happening here. Um, yes. That it's gonna like basically last for the entire act. Yes. Um, I assume that you did not <laughs> take this path of like telling him. Hell to kill no. Him. Okay. Well, I'm not. Right, an, cool. I'm not an aggressive hawk, so right. I, I couldn't do that anyways. And then, so even if I, I could have tried to side with them, but Varnell would have still killed the Canari, and then I would have had to fight him. It just would have been like my take on it would have been different. Uh, but I just I was basically like I'm going to kill you Varnell I probably should have killed you a long time ago mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he stabs all the Canari and then we fight uh, which this fight can I had to restart it multiple times because really? yeah and so I'll, I'll tell you why and I figured out why it was so again my party going into this was Aveline you know good old Stonewall Aveline uh Meryl, actually, did I even have Meryl? I think I had Isabella, and that might have been part of my problem. Uh, but I know that my other two were Varric and obviously Hawk. And my goal in most fights up to this point has been kill the big guy and then, you know, kind of mm. take enemies out in descending order, you yeah. know, until we're down to just the weaklings, which are just being mopped up by everybody else. Right. I think I did have Meryl, because one of my main problems was that Meryl, I have not skilled any sort of healing for her. Mm. Um, she can heal herself by doing magic damage with her Wrath of the Elven and all that. She's got that skilled. She's not a blood mage just yet in my build, so <laughs> she's not losing health in that respect. But uh, she does not have any way of healing my party. Mm. Aveline, as I have previously discussed is not generating enough threat it's <laughs> really not doing it uh and varic god bless varic he really only has rain of arrows to deal with a crowd mm. and same with my hawk no real way of dealing with a crowd so the only way i have of dealing with a crowd is meryl and meryl just got bum rushed every single time mm-hmm. and just died immediately and it was just a slot and so the other thing is that once you've entered this place this this arena or or this like level this bespoke level that is varnell's hideout uh you can't change your party as far as i can tell and there's no like party horn or anything and you can't turn around and leave to go like back to hawk's estate change your party and then come back so uh i was stuck with who i had Mm -hmm so i'm gonna be completely honest with the folks at home i died three times in a row on this fight the fourth time i loaded up my save i switched the difficulty down to easy 
I ran my hawk in, murdered the shit out of Varnell, who was the reason why, like, because that was the other thing, is my, my rogue hawk, even with Mark of Death assassinate Twin Fang two times in a row, could not kill Varnell on normal, because mm-hmm. that dude is just a tank. Uh, so I knocked it down to easy, murdered the shit out of Varnell, and then turned it back up to normal to deal with the rest of the, the crowd. <laughs> I, I, I had that. I was like, I'm not going to put the whole fight on easy. I'm just going to make Varnell easy. <laughs> this is a mm. secret skill that my hawk knows that changes the difficulty, but only on one enemy. <laughs> I, uh, the ultimate rogue move. <laughs> right. So I, I play Force Mage, so that's like my entire kit is around like crowd control right. and area effect stuff. Right. So when it comes like these fights, because like, I mean, generally, like, it's kind of a Dragon Age 2 thing. It's like, anytime you are fighting, like, you're in an encounter, it is hordes of enemies. Like, more so than Origins. And, it, like, to the point where I would almost argue that, like, the the encounters are don't feel particularly well-crafted. At least, like, not to say that or- Dragon Age Origins was, like, a game that would ever give any props on any level about anything. But at <laughs> least, like, there would be points. There would be points for, like, the fight. Like, the, it felt like more thought was given to the enemies that you would be yes. fighting in any certain encounter. Where yeah. this time, it's just like, they it, it's a numbers game. They just want to throw as many people at you at once as possible. So in general, I'm not having a whole lot of difficulty with fights at all. And that's mainly because my, I am specked out in a way that is kind of meant to deal with large groups of people at once. But yeah, I can see how that would frustrate a rogue that does not have those kind of abilities. And it's... I think there are parts of this game where the combat feels really good. And I think the combat system itself is mm-hmm. is good. Um, it's the situations that they're putting you in. The more I'm playing this game, the more I'm really feeling like... Again, I, I went into this saying that there are things about Dragon Age 2 that were criticisms of the time that I think still are criticisms that bear full merit. And one of them is certainly that the combat encounters in this game don't feel like they have that same level of deliberateness mm-hmm. that Origins did. Um, you know origins like like you said for all it's for all it's good and bad there were parts of that game where i was going like they crafted this stuff you Mm -hmm. know they were very intentional about the way that you're fighting the way that you're entering a battle the way that you're moving through a level and having to think about you know dealing with different enemy types in different situations and honestly i i hit the point where i was like if i had that level of deliberate combat design mixed with the actual combat that feels just more engaging mm-hmm. uh of dragon age 2 there'd be something here right it's almost like that will exist in a later video game I don't know. <laughs> um i know inquisition has its own issues too but combat on, on a whole <laughs> on a whole like dragon age 2 just i think one of the things it's most infamous for is enemies just kind of spawning in out of nowhere mm-hmm. i mean it's something that happens uh, in that previous mission we talked about um, where the poison gas fight like enemies just kind of jump down from the walls and they're like haha we're here mm-hmm. to reinforce and there's a lot of that in this game too where I mean this mission and other missions too where it's like haha here comes another group of enemies like fading in from the background and it's it's goofy and it doesn't feel the other thing about this this specific one is it reminds me of that encounter in awakening that we had where if you went into i think it was the barracks of a certain place no it wasn't it wasn't awakening it was origins proper when you're doing urn of the sacred ashes 
and you're climbing up towards where the actual urn is inside the mountain there's like a barracks area where there's a bunch of followers of andraste or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like this massive mob where it's just a bunch of dudes who fight with their fists and then like a couple mages uh and i remember we talked about that one and how interesting that fight was because you suddenly had to deal with numbers and you had to like prioritize targets and deal with crowd control whereas here i felt like i was being punished for not acquiescing to this sort of fight that also didn't feel like it set me up with a reasonable expectation to have to deal with this sort of thing Mm -hmm. because in in that level in the urn of sacred ashes like you're running into the barracks you know you're going to the place where all the soldiers live so and it's like tight corridors that you can see from a distance and all that whereas here it's like it's the same freaking dungeon that you've been in like 20 times at this point you don't know what you're running into and then you get there and this seemingly small crowd with sir varnell at the helm suddenly turns into oh now there's actually just a bunch of people mm-hmm. running in from all the corners and also they're not equipped in that way to have like just their fists or whatever they're like dudes holding hammers and shit like no. that and like the difference is that they're very low health so they go down in like three hits but it's it it just doesn't feel like there was a very deliberate method behind it compared to origins yeah. um anyways we kill vernell because we're not assholes <laughs> And then the Viscount shows up, and we gotta make another decision, because it's very obvious here that the Canari have been mutilated and tortured, and uh, the Viscount obviously is like, hey, maybe we shouldn't send these bodies like this to the Arishok, because it might make him super angry. Uh, So we have a choice to either burn the bodies and uh go through a whole side quest where we're basically like we're going to scorch them up to hide the marks of torture on their bodies or we can just tell their shock the truth mm. um even though i know that this also gives you a respect point i also just feel like the best decision here is to just be upfront, right. be honest because like okay yes the chantry like messed up but also i'm kind of mad at the chantry right now mm. so <laughs> um my hawk is just kind of like i don't know man if he wants to go storm the gates and and make them get involved like more power to him <laughs> get yep. in there air shock you'll be solving a few problems for me so <laughs> um yeah i i just went with telling the truth because also like air shock's not stupid he's gonna see through yep. it like right. if those bodies come back they're magically burned he's gonna be like dude i know why you did this <laughs> mm. <laughs> i'm assuming you made the same choice ken oh yeah, yeah. we stand logic over here yeah we're, we're smart people we're smart people here on norm the fm we know what we're up to oh as i flip over to our next quest tab halfway through what we gotta get through today um oh there's an ad here for birds of prey but like good fm but like a but like an update for dc universe with like harley quinn and poison have you have you watched the harley quinn show yet no not yet i recommend it i recommend it to the listeners of norm dfm as well that harley quinn tv show pretty good it's been airing on like sci-fi and stuff uh i use like a free trial in dc universe to check it out It's, it's worth your time um let's talk about the prime suspect so 
as all this Canari stuff has been going on, there's been another main quest thread that has been simmering beneath the surface uh, that starts when we first visit the Hawk Estate back home, and it is the prime suspect. Now, as you might remember, there was a side quest in Act 1, the first sacrifice wherein a uh, sad sad husband had his wife leave him and then we discovered that the wife was killed by a serial killer in uh that is running rampant in kirkwall that was kind of it just kind of resolved with a hanging thread uh aveline now approaches us uh saying that there's more more deaths of young women in the city the city guard can't seem to figure out what's going on so uh she wants us to look into it and we go to speak to um emmerich who is a uh a templar who has been raising all kinds of hell about this because aveline is kind of of the mind that like oh there's not really a serial killer this is just all like not you know loosely related but wants hawk to make sure uh emmerich meanwhile is convinced that there is a serial killer uh and even has a suspect uh Gascard dupuis <laughs> <laughs> Again, you talk about names in this series where it's like, where did this come from? First we had Carl, who is just, that's the most basic name in the world. And now we have Dupuis, in a world where I don't think I've seen a single French name yet. <laughs> we have Cascard Dupuis. Um, uh, I think you he go. points out that he's from Orlais, which is, you know. Which, which is apparently the, the France of Thetis. <laughs> right, like the, the French allegory, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't think Dorian's a very French name. <laughs> Dorian's or, from Tevinter. Um, or Tevinter, right. It's Orlais. Who am, I, who am I thinking of from Orlais then? Vivienne? Ah, that's kind of French. I don't know. Maybe. 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 We're getting into some some other other realms. Still, nothing explains Carl. Where did Carl come from? What's the America of Thetis? <laughs> <laughs> Um. Oh, shouts out to Carl. <laughs> Pour one out. Um. So, as as we uh, go and talk to Emmerich, and and learn about Gascar Dupuis, uh, we basically do some breaking and entering. So, you know, some light, some light felony work to <laughs> to learn about some things. Uh. And. As, as we go through the, the Dupuis estate, we fight a bunch of shades, which, you know, is always a good, a, a good omen. You know, mm. oh, good. There's shades here. Surely how nothing I know I'm bad. Welcome. Yeah, surely nothing bad is happening. Uh, we, we find various notes about uh, shipments and an artifact. Uh, we even find a, a letter from Meredith, uh, which mm. I was, I'd suddenly forgot about what this was. Uh, and now I'm remembering it. Um, do you remember? Or do you need to tell you what was said? No, I found it. It's it's. Uh, please accept my humble apologies for recent events. The Templar Emmerich has been reprimanded for his wrongful accusation accusations. I can totally talk tonight, and for arousing suspicions within the city guard that led to the raid on your estate. I will see that he is restrained in the future. Uh, so we get the idea that Dupuis has some pull, um, hmm. but also someone's been experimenting with a blood magic. Uh, that's not good. So, upstairs, 
after we've gone through this whole estate, fought a bunch of shades, found some shady letters, uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> we find Gascard Devui with a woman named Alessa, who is he's a let's say he's in a compromising position because mm. she is clearly not having the best night of her life, and he's like, I didn't do it like immediately. <laughs> I'm mm. like, okay. Uh, what's going on here so he says that he has been hunting the murderer and he's trying to find who it is by the way Alessa also just like takes the fuck off like yep. uses the opportunity to get the hell out of there Fair. um yeah big mood you know look you you see your shot you take it uh but Dupuy is like yeah I'm looking for the murderer don't worry I'm not the murderer even though I have a victim here uh and uh, the blood magic, I was using the blood magic to try and uh, figure out where the murderer was. So we have the choice to either let him go or straight up, like, try and kill him here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken, I'm going to be real with you. Mm-hmm. I let him go. No oh, fuck. Okay. Do you, All right. What did you choose? Oh, I, I fucking blew him up okay cool we have finally have diverging opinions here uh my take and this might be a little bit um the word too much yeah well a little bit but what's the um what's the word i'm looking for where it's like uh looking for the best possible outcome like apart from like any sort of emotional decision like you know what i'm talking about like not altruistic but like in that family of of vernacular i'm stumbling around words here help me out ken <laughs> uh, so what you're tr- you're trying to believe in this man yeah well so my my takeaway was that even if he is the murderer uh a i don't have enough to like convict him on what he on what we've got right now because we just have evidence of blood magic and then a victim that is not in any is obviously in a state of distress but not necessarily in a state of murder (laughs) so Mm. i don't have anything to pin what's been going on to him and i was like even if he's not the murderer if he is hunting the murderer then at worst case i can follow him to find the murders that are going on or if he is accomplice to this i can pragmatic that was the word i was looking for Mm. pragmatic i tried to take a pragmatic approach um basically you know i've been watching the wire recently uh it's a very good tv show that i recommend but i kind of took the same approach that some of the characters in that show do where they're like this is not my jurisdiction and also this is not like i don't have enough to convict on what i actually want to convict this guy on you know we have him doing a crime but it's not the crime and we want to put him away for the crime so i can't if i take him here then he's gonna walk you know he's gonna walk ken <laughs> you can't but can't let him didn't. walk on a charge <laughs> mm, I, I, uh, oh i want a cop game so bad i want a detective <laughs> game really bad <laughs> i uh, i mean i would have the mind like okay maybe if he's not the murderer, whatever, like, that's one thing, but, like, like, also, crimes are being committed here against women, and I'm like, I don't... Yep, that's Like, fair. regardless of what's happening, I don't trust you generally, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I'm taking you in one way or another, and then it just happens to result in combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, there, I think there are definitely 
like sides to this again dragon age 2 is a game that i think there are reasons to want to do things on either side of the coin and it's again one of the game's strengths that it really gives you situations where you never quite know if you've made the right decision i mean for ken here ken is always you know blast first ask questions never (laughs) but um in my case you know i let him go and then uh a templar named moira will show up and be like hey um you know emmerich wants to meet you and when you go to meet emmerich you find him dead (laughs) and there's a bunch of shades and abominations all around him uh and and moira shows up after you've cleared them out and she's like oh shit emmerich was right there's something going down here and we don't know what it is like what do you know because emmerich was looking for gascard dupuis and you were the one that was looking through dupuis estate and it's it's at this point where uh if you are obviously you have killed dupuis so you know that it was not possible for him Mm. to have done it he was not the killer right uh how how did you feel about that uh basically what i was saying before like i I don't feel bad that I killed this man because he was not an innocent. That's right. Like, regardless of whether it was this thing or not. He was still guilty of a crime. Right. Got a real Judge Dredd mood going here, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Scumbag. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen Dredd, the most recent movie? Mm-mm. Was that, was that, mm-hmm, or that was yes? No. no. Oh, that was a no. Okay, you should watch it. It's quite good. Uh, mm-hmm. If you like, uh, it's Carl Urban, right? Because Keith Urban's the musician. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, no, I always get them mixed up because very similar names. It's Carl Urban, right? Because he plays Bones in Star Trek. Those are the mm. only two things I know him from. Uh, anyways, he plays he plays Dread in that movie. It's very. If you have you seen Die Hard? When I was too young to like have retained any information about it. Okay, well, you should watch Die Hard again at some point. It's, it's still quite a good movie, but it's it's very much like future Die Hard, kind of, but it's got, I think it's one of the most underrated action movies of like the last 10, 15 years. Uh, Dread from 2012. It's extremely, extremely good. Mm. Uh, I think it was 2012. It, it came out while I was in college. That's, that's how I remember it. Yeah. Because uh, that, and then like Attack the Block, starring John Boyega, uh, who you will now know from Star Wars, but uh, he was in a movie called Attack the Block that came out around that time too, and that was an extremely good movie, and I would watch those movies all the time. Like, I just watch them back-to-back all the time. Very good movies. Um, anyways, you're turning into Judge Dredd, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, because Gascard Dupuis is on the free, uh, we cannot see whether he will be the killer or not mm. uh <laughs> i'm getting ready I'm for go. i'm getting ready for our next madverse city you know <laughs> we'll take down gene the robot uh it's now i'm in a situation where i'm like did i just let a blood mage who is killing people go free and obviously if i have the benefit of being aware of how this happens otherwise i actually did not look this part up uh, i was like oh crap i made the wrong decision mm. As I later looked it up, I was like, oh, okay, okay, he's, he's not actually the, he couldn't have been the killer, um, or at least the killer of Emmerich. Um, uh, Moira can be like, hey, 
give me information about Dupuy, uh, I can either be like, it's not that simple. Uh, there's there's something more going on, or I can say it's not him, like just de facto. Mm. Um, or I can just give up his location. So there are kind of some branching options here. If I do give up the location of Dupuy, even if I say I don't think it's him, but still give up his location, he will be taken uh, by the city guard and he will be executed by the Templar. So uh, that is a thing. (laughs) That will happen. If he stays alive, if, if I do not give up his location or I say, like, I don't know where he is. Uh, because when you let him leave, he is like, hey, if you ever need to find me, I'm in Darktown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we cannot give up that information. And that will come into play later on in a way that, luckily, one of us is not so trigger-happy that we can explore <laughs> when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, or we can also say that we don't think he's the killer not give up any information the templar will just kind of investigate it but they won't really find anything um either way all of this kind of gets put on hold until a later thing happens uh it once we've finished gotten up to the point where we have finished the canary stuff uh it leads into a quest called all that remains which kind of starts i would say the end game of act two mm-hmm. um I believe you can still kind of do the quests out of order. There is like a point of no return, but I don't think it's all that remains. I think it's the quest series that comes after it. Yeah. But because of the things that happen in all that remains, uh, as well as some of the Canary stuff that carries over after it, uh, we won't be talking about that until the end of our discussion about these, this, this act. Uh, and, and we'll be having a guest on to discuss some of that, which we will announce at a later date. Very excited about that. But uh, before we move on to our, our little discussion at the end here, we do have to talk about one quick quest that's following up on a chapter one or an act one side quest uh, called Night Terrors. Uh, y'all will remember Fainreel, the apostate mage that we rescued from slavers uh, in the quest Wayward Son. And uh, I believe both of us ended up sending off to stay with the Dalish. Mm-hmm. Um, we receive a letter from his mother who's saying that uh, Fainreel has basically gone into a coma and uh, they need Hawk specifically to go into the dreams of Fainreel to try and fix whatever is going on with him. As we soon learn, as Keeper Marathari arrives and, and informs us, uh, I'm forgetting what the word is, but Fainreel is a specific kind of... It's like a shaper or something is what they call it. A dreamer, yeah. Mm. Um, where he can literally shape the Fade. And it's an extremely powerful form of mage that has not been seen very often uh, in recent memory. Uh, they they describe how dreamers... It, in Tevinter and stuff would actually use this ability to slip because that's the other thing is that they can slip in and out of the fade at will they don't need to do any of the lyrium stuff or mm. blood magic or anything they can just go into the fade whenever they want it also may it makes them extremely powerful makes them very appealing to demons for possession uh so Fainreel's at a bit of risk 
uh and and they talk about all the ways that uh tim Inter dreamers used to stalk their enemies and then kill them uh in their dreams in the fade which would kill them in real life you have very inception so um we we know that we need to go in to help fainreal because fainreal like we've we left an impression on fainreal when we last left him uh and and we need somebody who is like close close to fainreal but also like able to handle themselves in the fade and deal with things in the fade uh but Marathari kind of takes us aside and says, look, if, if things are going bad, if it seems like a demon is going to take possession of Fainreel, you got to kill him. Because a demon possessing Fainreel is, like, unstoppable. It is the worst possible outcome. Uh, and, and it could just cause, like, untold destruction on the world. So all that said uh we gotta pick a squad and go into the fade now fun fact sebastian is like adamant that he will not do mm. <laughs> he will not do this mission <laughs> which is really funny um he's like if you have him in your party he's just like Dude, i'm not going in the fade i'm it's it's bad there's bad mm. things going on in there you are not taking me into the fade <laughs> it's he's like that is where corruption comes from that's where badness comes from he, he references the golden city which is again something we haven't really talked about and probably won't talk about until inquisition all yeah. things considered but well i, I don't know if it comes up it. in dlc i don't know if it comes up in dlc here it might it might mm. but i don't remember it coming up in da2 like the main story yeah uh anyways <sighs> um yeah he's like i'm not doing that nope no 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 that wasn't gonna bring you anyway yeah uh for me i actually brought i think i used it was aveline merrill and anders Mm, um i used anders very specifically right um merrill had really interesting dialogue as it regarded to both things that will happen in the fade but also leading up to entering Fainreel's dreams she makes comments about like oh Marathari is like going out of her way to help this boy mm. who's like a half-blood and not part of the clan and mm. she wouldn't do that to save me um mm. she, and it kind of feeds into some of her character development in this act in a way yep. that i appreciated so i brought her along mm. and aveline you know you gotta have a warrior with you and mm aveline's bit in this is also pretty interesting yeah um who did who did you bring out of curiosity yeah i i brought fenris uh mm-hmm. anders and aveline anders and aveline were like specifically because like i knew the things that were going to happen here with them and that was like something i felt was worth seeing and then fenris just like i don't, I don't he doesn't leave my side so yeah, yeah, yeah so did you not have I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but did you not have anything with one of the demons here then? Did they not uh, do any sort of temptation on you? Uh, no, there, there was something. There were, there was something. Yeah, there is a thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's okay. So the reason why I bring this up is that um, if as as we go in, and by the way, I should mention that if we kill Fainreal in the Fade, it does not kill him in real life, but it would make him tranquil if we kill him in the fade which is something that he was explicitly like i i do not want to become tranquil Mm -hmm. um he was running away because he didn't want to become tranquil so we 
Marathari kind of tells us up front to be like, hey, you should probably pick your companions well because they will be tempted by demons. <laughs> um, there, there are bad things that are going to happen in in the dreams, and you want people that you can trust. Um, so as you head in, we, we fight through some various demons. There's a crazy book that's flying around that's pretty cool. There's a barrel puzzle that I really liked. That was, that was kind of fun to figure out. Um, but then we, we stumble across our first like main well, demon. Name. We, do, we should probably talk about the state of one of our companions as soon as we walk in. Oh, of course. Of course. I'm sorry. I, I, was, I was getting ahead of myself. I forgot to mention that while we brought Anders along, really we have justice here. Uh, so this is the main appearance, I would say, of Justice in this game. A character that was from Awakening, mm. that has since merged with Anders, uh, and kind of become two parts of one whole. But we really get the Justice side mm. here. And, uh, he takes over, uh, Anders' body while in this area, and we kind of get some interesting discussion with him, uh, in terms of just kind of learning a little bit more about who he is as a character and also like how he's changed um, in the time between Awakening and Dragon mm-hmm. Age 2. Uh, he's become much more a spirit of vengeance and not a spirit of justice. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of cool at first. You know, I was like, oh, hey, it's justice. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, boy. Mm. <laughs> justice yeah what happened to you buddy right it was one of the points where i kind of wish that origins uh like sort of dialogue system where you could just talk to somebody like out on the field was still around because you know that would have been the point where it would have been like the one chance you had to talk to justice specifically and just kind of like go yes. through like a bunch of different dialogue options that obviously isn't there because it's not how dragon age 2 operates on that front but mm-hmm. yeah and and ultimately like you do get to talk to justice a little bit and mm. get some information about like, you know, who he is and what's going on. But considering this is like probably the largest part where we get to really see justice in action, also like have him talk and have yep. dialogue with him and stuff. Like I, it was a little bit of a bummer. You know, you want to learn more about this character while you have the chance. Right. Um, anyways, we then do eventually fight through some demons and get to Torpor there's a sloth demon that tries to bargain with hawk um so if you have justice with you it does not want you to take any sort of deal with any of the demons that we stumble across (laughs) um with torpor you can do kind of a oh i'm going to help you and then later on like trick Mm. torpor and be like actually never mind i'm not helping you right uh ultimately i was just like i'm i'm in here to kill demons and save fain real so torpor's getting the end of the the knife here um there's some very complicated dialogue stuff you can do here that that involves that sort of stuff but ultimately i even feel probably if there were like stats for this um ultimately like it's you're you're not you're not going to side with demons because it always ends up bad there's Mm -hmm. always like a downside to that as we will soon learn (laughs) uh i will note that at this point so meryl you get disapproval every time you don't side with a demon here Mm -hmm. from meryl because meryl all about them demons (laughs) (laughs) 
But I should have noticed at this point that I was not getting minus points from that because, surprise, in Dragon Age 2, if you reach max friendship or max rivalry with a character, it locks them into that side of things. And no matter what you do, you will not get approval or disapproval from that character, no matter what choice you make, Mm. which is kind of in my opinion, appalling, given a thing that happens later in one of Meryl's quests. Really? Where I I made a decision that really should have made her mad at me, and she's just kind of like, oh, well, you do, you're doing what's right. And I'm like, no, Meryl, like, be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, th- I think a lot of it is, like, a lot of the sort of checks that they do in terms of, like, approval or disapproval for characters are based on like where on the like the actual like bar they fall so like you can't yes. be yeah. too close to the middle either way for them it needs to, to like... be like higher higher than 50 is the the mark for questioning beliefs which is right. like kind of a a series of quests that are happening throughout this act where you kind of go and talk to a character that kind of solidifies what side they're ending up on on that friendship mm. and rivalry scale right uh yeah yeah i think it, but it, I also just think it's kind of a normal thing for, like, people... If, like, people's relationship has been established, you know, to a certain degree, and, like, they have that certain relationship, that it kind of is going to stay that way. Like... I I suppose. But it it feels too quick in this case. Like, this is the sort of lockdown I wanted to see by Act 3, not by the start of Act 2. That is something that is wild to me, because, like, I wasn't... I hadn't been, like, paying too much attention to it at this point. But then I, like, opened up my party menu and saw that, like, I'm full friendship with Anders and Varric, and Fenris is not quite all the way over to rivalry yet, which is, like, I don't know, I was expecting it, maybe that's to be inverse, but, um, yeah, you if you have somebody, like, as sort of a primary party member, you can get that up fairly quickly. Yeah, it's, I think I'm maxed out with every character except for Sebastian, Fenris, and I think Anders isn't quite friendship yet. But I think I'm maxed out on every character, and I think the only rivalry I have right now is I know Sebastian's starting to lean rivalry, mm. and I think Fenris might end up going rivalry as well. But uh, he's he's been the last few dialogues I had were trending friendship for him. So, mm. um, like I said, I I tend towards friendship in this game just because you're a coward. Uh, no it's just the character i am you know i'm sarcastic hawk i'm not trying to like confront people and all that mm. I'm, I'm a buddy i'm hanging out i'm having fun cracking wise and all that <laughs> uh so i just feel like it locks in really fast but more the idea that i think there should be points at, in this game where you can make that very determined decision to say i'm going to go against somebody's wishes no matter what they think and then have that like and we can talk more about this when we get to the Meryl episode of this act but I wanted there to be more of a recognition of even when you have this like rock solid friendship that is kind of established that there could be rocky points and Mm -hmm. that that could be reflected in the dialogue and there granted there is like in the questioning beliefs and stuff like that they do some of that but it's uh me i don't know we'll we'll talk more about it as we get deeper into this act and the companion quest that happens and again these are discussions that we never had with dragon age origins because that shit was not this deep mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh 
But I bring it up here because after we've taken care of Torpor, there's two demons that we got to deal with. A Desire Demon and a Pride Demon. Um, I think it's Pride. Pride is the big guy, right? No. Mm. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I think it's Pride. I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading ahead here to double check. This is a very strangely arranged thing on the Dragon Age wiki. Because um, there's just a lot that can happen here. Um... Ba, 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 ba. Anyways, I'll just talk about what we had. So the first one I went to to deal with was the Desire Demon, which I think we both had the same uh, yep. situation happen, which is that Aveline, after we have a, a short scene of Fainreel talking to his father, and we got to kind of snap him out of it and be like, hey, this isn't real, uh, which this decision does matter. It determines whether Fainreel is going to kind of gain control over the things that are happening around him in the Fade, or whether he's just going to continue being, like, afraid of what's going on, or, like, kind of give in to what's going on around him. Uh, so if you choose right here, Fainreel kind of goes like, hey, wait, my dad was never around, my dad didn't want me around, who are you? And the illusion dissipates, and Fainreel runs off, and then the Desire Demon gets really ticked off, and is like, um... Also, I forgot to mention, but in this situation, Hawk appears as, like, different characters yeah. in these memories. So in this, like, where Ariani, his mother, uh, who's like, Vincento was never here. He was never here for you. Um, if we had Isabella, Isabella would be tempted by the offer of a new ship and crew uh, by the demon. And it, it's in these segments that the demons kind of try to be like, oh, you think you're so clever. You think you're better, but your companions fall for temptation just as much as Fainreel does mm -hmm. and tr they try to tempt one of your party members so if you have Isabella then Isabella is tempted if we have Aveline uh we we have a scene with Sir Wesley uh who comes back and even in my case um in, in your case I believe he calls out Hawk directly yeah. in my case he calls out Bethany's family of apostates um but our companion turns on us and we have we have to fight them mm. and in this in this situation yeah. like we end up one party member down after the fight yeah i like when the game first came out like before i like knew anything that was happening in this game when these things happened i thought these characters these characters were dead for real and so mm -hmm. when cuz like when i first did it, i went to the other one and Fenris was the one that got like tempted and then i had to kill him and i was like absolutely not so i ended up just I'm pretty sure what I ended up doing was I uh, restarted the mission, but with no party members. And so I was like, I had to solo the whole thing because I was like, I'm not going to bring anyone here and put anyone in danger because I'm the main <laughs> character. I can't be, <laughs> I can't be tempted by this I stuff. I can't but, be tempted. But <laughs> if, if, and if none of them are here, then neither can they. Does that, does that work if you just go in with just you? There's like no temptation scene at all? I believe so. I like, you, you still got to do the thing of uh, like... You know, you gotta talk to Fenriel about his business, but they don't have anybody to kind of, like, latch on to, so. Ah. Well, so we beat up our companion, is what is. Uh, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, Aveline ain't that hard to beat up. She's just kind of a, a wall of tank who didn't do any damage. So, at that point, I was like, okay, well, at least this is helping me now. Um, and, and then we go to the other side. This is a pride demon uh, who is masked. This is the one where I was more like how did Fainreel fall for this one? Because uh, the Pride Demon is pretending to be Keeper Marathari, 
and uh, Hawk is first Enchanter Orsino, who we have not seen much of at this point. Yeah, uh, we really don't a, see this. Like, he's important, but we, we really don't see him much in this game. Same with Meredith. Like, we yeah. don't see these characters much until Act Three. Uh, so we we head in and we break up the the vision, and now we have three different companions who can be tempted. Uh, for Meryl, uh, the same sort of thing is offered to that was given to Fainrail, which was like become the savior of the Dalish and and get all the power that you need uh fenris is tempted given enough power to be equal to the magisters who are chasing him and for varric uh it's a little bit more interesting uh the offer of power that would have allowed him to walk away with the glory from the deep roads rather than bartrand um which is a side of varric we haven't really explored Mm. and i actually haven't seen this scene so i don't know if there's like an extra bit here with varric and cassandra if it happens that way Mm, um, I don't think so. Uh, see, that's a missed opportunity then. Uh, but uh, for me, for Meryl, uh, you can actually make a sarcastic joke here, which again, like I was kind of a sarcastic hawk, so I went with that. And you can kind of be like, she's like, you know, oh, hawk, you mean a lot to me, but this is my people we're talking about. And you can kind of be like, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's a pretty good offer. <laughs> and, um, I, I thought that was kind of funny that you can just kind of be like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's hard to turn that down. Uh, or you can be like, what are you doing? Stop that. And then it right. turns into a fight and you got to fight Meryl. Um, how, how did the Fenris thing play out? Uh, I mean, it, it was a weird thing because I was like, you're a free man. You don't need to be under, like, there's something along the lines of like, do you want to be like tethered to something else? If it's not your, you know, the slavers, it is this demon. And then he's like, but to be able to face the, these managers as an equal, and then he's just like, well, what, what would you need from me, demon? And then he's like, oh, just a moment of your time. And then he just fucking pulls his sword out and hitting me mm-hmm. with it. It's not very nice. Not a good time. Either way, uh, you and I both ended up going into this final confrontation uh, with just Anders. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, even though, like, we, we just kind of deal with a very basic demon it's not really like a hard fight but i thought it was kind of interesting that we're going into the situation of like okay we're down members we're potentially going into a situation where we wouldn't have certain people with us kind of similar to the fade missions from dragon age Mm -hmm. origins where you could feasibly like skip getting your party members and just go straight for the demon if you wanted to but you'd be by yourself but ultimately it doesn't really have that final fight unless you decide to betray torpor and fight him here uh so now we we kind of have a few options so we can either make an agreement with torpor and let him be possessed by the sloth demon uh which i mean so neither of us did this so we should probably talk about what happens if you do do that right yeah i guess uh if he is possessed by torpor uh Fainreel becomes this kind of abomination and later in act three we'll start to hear that uh there's been a monster running around at night they're being attacked by a dream stalker as as it's called and that's kind of what we learned like that's what happened to Fainreel mm. uh we'd also betray him and betray torpor and then end up uh in a situation or if we refused it outright 
will end up in a situation where if Vanriel has been kind of fleeing in fear from his uh, temptations, he will beg to be killed and become tranquil, uh, which is one option. But if we've chosen right up to this point and like helped him understand his illusions, uh, he'll kind of gain control of the fade and leave of his own volition. And then also he'll sneak away. So it's important to know at this point that while we're doing this ritual in the alienage around things that Fainreal like has attachment to, which is kind of like the story reason for them writing this out this way. Right. Um, Fainreal's actual body is still with the Dalish. Um, Fainreal decides that he's going to go to Tevinter to study his dreamer skills, uh, which will come into play later in Act Three, and that was that's what happened in my playthrough. Yeah. Uh, which it's it's kind of easy to like you know with with each option you have with the demons you can be like snap out of it kid snap out of it or you can like kind of reason and be like hey this is why this isn't right and kind of help mm. guide him along uh, so as long as you're not like i don't know <laughs> slapping him in the face like snap <laughs> out of it kid <laughs> um you know you can get here pretty easily i'm assuming you ended up in the same place yeah yeah you know we're all about the best outcomes here on normandy fm you know we try we try and we support those mages who want to safely practice their skills and uh might even turn out pretty well for fan really might end up doing some good with that so uh overall you know his mother's pretty upset about it doesn't like that outcome and I, the keeper is not really wild about it either but she's just kind of like well that's the wise decision you know if he's going to keep living with this power he's making the right choice to learn about it so i i like this this is probably the most significant side mission that happens in act two but i yep. like it because it's the one that that most feels like there has been a passage of time because fane has kind of grown right. in powers and and developed a little bit more and also because it it gives you a side of your companions that you get to see mm-hmm. and you get a lot of really interesting follow-up right discussions with them afterwards where you, they can kind of be like hey you know sorry about what happened in the fade and all that or so. not what, what happens with the not? Wait, what? Uh, yeah, if like you're generally like in a rivalry relationship, like specifically with Fenris, he, like I, I go to see him and he's like, that might not have been chill of me, but you're kind of to blame too. Why did you bring me there? Why? And I was like, I didn't think that the mage hater was going to have a problem saying no to demons. And then he's like, that wasn't fair of you to put that onto me. And not all mages are like you. Why are you so trusting of this shit? And I was like, dude. I just thought we were fucking going into the fade to help this kid. I didn't realize that it was going to be a fight, like everything else is in our relationship. You you really are making me wish that I was playing the rivalry version of Meryl's uh, quest line. Cause... They're good. Like I mean, I. So I mean, I guess this is decent time to talk about it. Like, without getting into necessarily the specifics of any one rival relationship which we can talk about in their dedicated episode but like I just really like that I mean because games don't the game like the choice of games that like have companions that you can have these relationships with nothing's really done that since and I feel like it's kind of a waste to just kind of be like I'm gonna be nice to everybody and enable everybody's like bullshit and not take advantage of the nuance that these things give because like I think being in the rival relationship with Fenris is, like, what makes that relationship more than just two people just coddling each other for a whole game. And it's why I, like, when, you know, the relationship 
plays out, or I guess like the missions and stuff that go with it kind of play out the same, but like just the way these two people engage with each other and just like I guess in response to anything that happens, it's very different and it feels much more. I don't know if pandering is like the right word to use, but like in Mass Effect, everyone like you know there there were granted there were especially in like Mass Effect three points where your party members or your friends turned against you because you, like, you know, you went that right. step too far. But here, you know, like, it's nice to have, like, a relationship that is from the ground up, not, I don't want to say adversarial per se, because, like, they are still, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they are still friends, they are still, like, in a relationship. Uh, but it at least feels like I'm not enabling a person to... Like, 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 be constantly speaking ill of like my people, like as a mage, or in the case of Meryl, like doing egregiously stupid shit all the time. Yeah, um, I I think of the line from Revenge of the Sith where Anakin and Obi Wan are facing off at the end of that movie, and Obi Wan's like, "You don't have to side with the Sith or whatever. I'm not here to like fight you. I'm here to stop the Sith." And Anakin says something like, if you're not with me, you're against me. Mm. And, you know, that leads to the the famous line, like, only a Sith deals in ultimatums, which itself is an ultimatum, but... <laughs> um, or, no, only a Sith deals in absolutes, which is mm. an absolute, but... Um, it's, uh... I find that interesting because, like you said, like, there's... Uh, it, it, I, I'll use the Meryl romance as an example because I'm even like right now considering futzing with a cheat engine or just doing some sort of magicry to fix mm. this on my end because i made a decision very intentionally to turn the relationship at a certain point mm. uh because i there is a point in meryl's quest line where she hits that because up let's say up to the point that this happens i'm i'm sincerely not trying to tr- like tread on future podcast content but i'm just using this as like an example there is a point in meryl's like all of her stuff up to this point has been very uh surface level and you mm. don't really know what's going on with her character or what her plot line is going to be and then all of a sudden oh hey uh we're we're making some choices here and mm. she's up to some shit and that's kind of the point where in my head hawk should be able to really start that friendship or rivalry which is like hey i'm going to support this or hey i'm not going to support this so you need mm. to do better and if you have had meryl along for a lot of your quests already and you've kind of been building up that tacit approval and, and doing some of the romance stuff which again a lot of quests in this game that you do they're like the side companion quests they they build upon what you have so if you're already in a rivalry you will get more rivalry points and if you're already in a friendship you will get more friendship points it feels like there's a point where the snowball starts rolling and it's almost impossible to reverse course on it so that's maybe the one thing i don't like about the system is it feels too gamed to you have to know what you want to do going in to a relationship right but with in general like the reason why i bring it up is like my meryl friendship thing is locked and it's it's good it's like i'm not saying it's bad but it is very much like just constant unwavering unconditional support 
and mm. the whole time and it's it's very vanilla it's very mm. you know buttermilk <laughs> it's like <laughs> i don't know what else to call it like it's just like sunshine and roses and right. daisies and in the midst it's of like, like some of the most effed up shit in this whole game and there's like, some shit that goes down later that just makes you go like how am i supposed to support this character right now right and if you're locked in it just forces you to do that and i i love i love the idea that you like i said if you're not with me you're against me that's kind of how a lot of video game romances go you know it turns into that like oh we're just so supportive of each other and we're so happy like you think about the mass effect romances they're kind of like that you know it's they're they're all very much like they're they're deep and they have their nuances and all that but they are very much like oh your character is so right. cool and whereas yeah, and I mean, like this and, one like freaking fenris slams you against the wall man like yes yeah. <laughs> And, like, if in Mass Effect, if there was going to be any sort of that, like, drama to it, they had to enforce it by the plot, not necessarily by your choices. Yes. Like, in things like the, like, the Caden romance, like, you had to have that, that horizon moment in Mass Effect 2 that is kind of, like, enforced on you by the plot rather than necessarily being sort of, like, re- relative to your actions. Where here, like, like you said, like, the, that, those those beats are woven into the game by the nature of the relationship you are establishing. It's such a cool thing. And again, we have not seen this explored anywhere else. And like the idea that this character, I mean, so the one thing I'm trying to remember, maybe I'm wrong about this. Did Greedfall have something like this or something similar to this? I want to um, say, cause I know there was approval with factions, but I don't remember if individual characters had approval or if they were kind of on a meter, like rivalry romance. I think it was I'm more suddenly... along the lines, like, if you had gotten through, or had not gotten through their own quests, like, you could have those turn moments, which... Oh, I yeah, would... no, there, is, there were moments in Greedfall where if you did not do their loyalty quests, they would turn on you. Right, and I only distinctly remember one of those, but... Oh, I I think it's the same one that I'm thinking of, where it's at, like, a very pivotal moment in the story. Right. right. Which really sneaks up on you. <laughs> yeah. If... That was... If we yeah. get to the point where we have a fan voted game and we end up actually dissecting Greedfall, I'm actually I would actually look forward to that because that game has some weird mm. like there's obviously like it does not handle colonial tones right. very well. But um there's also just stuff involving the way that certain characters play out. Like some are really interesting, but some are really like kind of strange and all over the place given mm. the choices that you make and how it like forecasts that. I don't know. that game was complicated let's put it that way i do want to see whatever spiders does next yeah but i'm hoping that they 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 tune it up a bit but what we do have an idea of what's happening next is what bioware is doing next uh because ken uh jeff grubb over at venture beat uh reported hid at the bottom of a fiscal (laughs) earnings report a little note talking about how ea was working on various different titles and he dropped by the way one of those is the mass effect hd remaster the mass effect trilogy um in the games industry if you've been around it long enough you hear kind of whispers Mm. crop up every now and then of various things that are 
oh yeah, this was being worked on or this was being talked about. You know, there's all kinds of different stages at, with this, at which this could happen. And so that's why like I'm always reticent to just kind of drop that info because I might hear that, oh, you know, so-and-so is working on this, but really like there were just kind of talks happening mm-hmm. or it was kind of, it was pitched, but it didn't really like get through or they were kind of trying to figure out how they would fund it or whether an internal studio would handle it versus an external. So my gut because grub is is he's reliable uh is that he knows enough about what's going on and enough like knows that it's happening enough that it's not going to turn out to be one of those things that it was just a pitch in a business you know deck somewhere that this is actually something that has some wheels on it um and ken you've written about it Mm. um i've kind of held off writing about it because i'm both you know waiting for a little bit further confirmation of what that's actually going to look like and also uh because i haven't really like sorted my thoughts about it so i guess that's what this podcast is for mm-hmm. <laughs> um a mass effect trilogy hd remaster mm. um i guess to start off this is something that i do want right like this is I want to see this happen. And mm-hmm. we've talked about this. I even, I've written about this in the past where I've said like, this is one of the series that defined the 360 PS3 generation mm-hmm. in my view. Like this is, when you think about series of that era, you have like your Halos, your Uncharted's, and then you have your Mass Effects. Mm-hmm. And like, those are the ones that like stick out in my mind um, yeah. as like series that define that generation. I think Mass Effect probably more than most i mean that's for me personally i know but also because it was like cross-generational so it wasn't like you know microsoft was defined by halo and and gears and over here you have like sony had their uncharted's and their what else did they have i didn't have a playstation 3 so like i don't know was infamous big on the ps3 yeah i I mean like if you talk about like the sort of mainstays like sony games specifically yeah there's the exclusives i guess but um mass effect was the one that like spanned all generations all players like it was the one that everybody it seemed like was always talking about and then we got into the new generation and everyone was like okay where's the next mass effect what's what's next for mass effect and obviously andromeda happened that was a whole dust up and we've since had reports that they're working on some sort of new mass effect from jason schreier um that was that was a while ago at this point that that was kind of discussed but uh this is a fairly fresh report and with an EA play, a digital EA play on the horizon, uh, it's you know, like a console generation kind of coming to a close. That's kind of where I wanted to start is I like, yes, this is something that I want. It also feels kind of late. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's, um, like, it's surprising that we can spend an entire generation asking for something and finally get it in the last year. Yeah, and you know, given the Series X and PS5 are going to be backwards compatible, but it suddenly turns into a situation where it's like, okay they're backwards compatible but we're you're still going to kind of end up with this situation where the remaster is coming out on old gen systems and that feels kind of like oh, okay it's out here <laughs> like mm-hmm. play it played on your new console if you want it to like run a little bit better but it's not really optimized for that in any meaningful way i should be very clear right now that uh grub did not specify what platforms it would be coming to other than saying that uh well he said i know he specified the nintendo switch 
saying that a switch version would not be coming until later or something like if that. at all um if at i all. think he said don't expect it to come to switch at least not at first i believe yeah um well i pull this article up so we have that exact wording ken like give me kind of your thoughts about where you're at with that uh my feelings are both excitement because like the thought of be, having to be able to play the mass Effect trilogy again on a device that i can screenshot on is like all i need for like a year of playing video games um <laughs> i also wonder what because like it, it, i don't expect that this is going to be like a complete remake of any of these games much less mass effect one the game that probably needs it because I don't expect the company of Electronic Arts, who has been very adamant that it does not like remasters and remaking games, I don't expect them to put any more sort of like resources into this than they have to. Um, but it also like there is also the part of me that thinks like, you know, this is going to be a lot of people's first exposure to this this series, and do they really want Mass Effect One that as it like basically as it was thirteen years ago to be what people first experience? So I don't really know on that. Um, there are some things that I wonder if they might go out of their way to change, just because like right. it has been long enough that they they're like this is an opportunity to make good on some decisions, like maybe add in the Caden romance for Male Shepherd for one and two, because like those those dialogue files like do exist and they are like there are mods that put them in place, and as much as I don't like the idea of like fundamentally changing the relationship between those two characters it is i think that's less important than giving that option to people um but overall like i if i if i am right that they aren't gonna like really go out of the way to make you know a a complete remake of at least mass effect one i don't really know what they can do to improve that game that isn't like really like you know getting your hands dirty and remaking full sections of that game yeah like changing it on a systems level because that you know it's not like it operates wildly different from the way that just mass effect in general handles but it's just the idea that you're changing okay there's no more you know if you change it to be like mass effect two or three combat right there's Mm. there's no more loot now and uh the way the characters handle are going to to be different and the way that uh the combo system works is going to be different and okay there's no more loot you got to change how weapons work because now certain characters may not be able to equip certain weapons and also like there's no more armor so how do you balance that how do you make it so that your companions aren't getting like one shot by you know giant geth later on in the series and mm-hmm. uh or in the in the game and i i think I mean, there there are parts of Mass Effect that evolve over the course of the series. So like the hacking mini games and stuff like that mm-hmm. obviously change over the course of the games and uh, different aspects of even the way you navigate the galaxy map. Like in the first two yep. games, you're just kind of picking a place to go, but then Mass Effect Three, you're actually flying the little ship around. Yeah. Uh, there there are quirks like that that I want to see preserved in some way, even if I don't ultimately like them. Like I didn't like the way that it handled in mass effect three. I thought it was kind of silly, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're kind of going for a thing. So it is what it is. Um, I think the, the issue I always have with mass effect one is that it feels like a game with different goals than mass effect two, because 
we've talked about this before and I've, I've written a whole thing about how Garrus isn't the character that we know and love mm. until Mass Effect 2 and I kind of feel that way about a lot of Mass Effect 1 in that it's a yeah. really good standalone RPG but in terms of what Bioware games have ended up being over say the mm. last four games that they've put out right. uh, since Mass Effect 1 I mean not counting Anthem but mm-hmm. <laughs> um they are very fundamentally different that like okay mass effect one you can romance either the opposite gender human squad mate or liara that's mm. it and you right. jump to mass effect two where you can romance a lot of characters uh you know some more than others depending on what your romantic preferences are but then you jump to mass effect three and you can romance even more characters and it's much more open than mm. any of the other games and you know, we think of romance as one of the main things that Bioware does and like loyalty missions and things like mm-hmm. that, which again, Mass Effect 1 did not really have. You know, you had Garrus's side mission and Rex's side mission, mm-hmm. and really only Rex's played into the plot in any meaningful way, and it just let you kind of skip a dialogue check that you could otherwise clear with Paragon or Renegade. Right. So there are definitely quirks of it but all that being said like i don't know mass effect one is also just a breezy experience like when we were playing through it it took me maybe like what 10 hours 12 hours to beat that whole game like it's not it's not a long game like like and if if we're to be like things are i guess like I mean, it has been a pretty long time since this show was on Mass Effect 1, so I guess, like, things are still coming back to me as we're talking about it, but, like, then I think about the, the save system and how busted that is, and oh, just, like... Oh, Lord, that... If they add autosave to that game, that alone is enough reason to play right. that game again. I guess, like, I just... I wonder, like... Like, real how, autosave. Right. I just, I guess I just wonder, like, the more I think about it, like, how much work do we... I mean, and it, we won't know until, like, EA play and we see the thing, but, like... How much work do I think the EA probably put into something that they are they were adamant for years they didn't want to do, and that's I don't know. Like I, that, I think it's I think the question is more like maybe they didn't want to do, but maybe they didn't think they needed to do. Because um, let's use let's use another stance of EA, right? Uh, the Switch and how yeah. long EA has been like oh we'll wait and see on the Switch. We'll see if it's still around, and then over the years it's just been this gradual like okay okay we get it the switch is a thing we get it you know we'll put games on it okay we'll put more games on it we mm-hmm. hear you and even in so i pulled up the article from venture beat and and the full graph is oh and that hd remaster of an ea game is the mass effect trilogy just don't expect that to also launch on switch at least not at first it's from jeff grubb at venture beat um and that that also kind of highlights that like yeah ea uh not wild about the switch still mm-hmm. for whatever reason and you know they've they've given many reasons over the years but uh on the remaster front they've never been a company that has had to remaster like you think about what their main games are right, right. like outside of outside of bioware they're all very sequential you know right. so there's battlefield there's I mean, Apex Legends is recent for them, but it's still something. Yeah, all the sports games they do. And even, like, you look at Star Wars games, Battlefront is very sequential and built upon. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order kind of stands alone, and even then is kind of an outlier for what EA has traditionally done in the past. You know, they haven't done 
you know, they've had Bioware for a while, but I, I think this sort of thinking, this sort of like desire for a remake is new to them. Whereas mm. like Ubisoft has recently been like really embracing that, especially with like the Assassin's Creed series, right? They did that whole thing where they put out Assassin's Creed Odyssey and I think it came with a remaster of three if you pre-ordered it or something like that. Mm. Um, I don't remember the there circumstances, was a, but I know that a three got remastered at some point. Three, three got remastered, and I think it, it somehow coincided with Odyssey and all that. And they've done, they've done a remaster of, uh, of the Ezio stuff as well. Um, and and they've re-released games and stuff like that. They've other publishers have been much faster to embrace that sort of not even just archival work, but just like re-releasing a game and putting it back out there. Yeah, and. I think with Bioware specifically, that that studio, that brand is in a place where it needs to, if they want to be putting a new Dragon Age out there, they want to be kind of going like, okay, we're going back to our roots. And if they want to garner some goodwill around whatever Anthem 2.0 is, putting something out there that says, hey, we also remember our roots. This is where we came from. This mm-hmm. is what people love about us. And we want to have something out there. You know, I can practically imagine the stage presentation or stream presentation as it happens. You know, like, we know that fans have loved Mass Effect for years and Mm. we're heading into a new generation and we've got something in the works for you. But so you can all remember just what made you fall in love in the first place. Here's a re-release or remaster. And, you know, probably Mm. will take a lot of notes from the the mini HD mods that are out there and stuff like that. Um, You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of groundwork laid out for them in that regard Mm. so all things considered like yes i am positive about this Mm. i'm happy about this because if nothing else it shows that there's support for bioware to continue to have this sort of brand that they're not they're not being pigeonholed into anthem and Mm. you know it's not just kind of like we're not going to hear anything until dragon age hopefully comes out and you know it's, it's signs of life and all that i don't know what the situation obviously that report doesn't cover it I don't know if the situation is like a, an outside party studio was brought in to handle the port, you know, much like Saber Interactive handled the uh, the Switch port of Witcher 3 and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this that's not unheard of in, right. in the world of porting games. So I, but, you know, we'll, we'll see mm-hmm. once we learn more right. about that, but yeah. uh, which I, I'd imagine mm-hmm. we'd probably learn more about this summer, if anything, but right. Yeah, uh, I will say, just kind of like my wrapping thoughts. Like, yes, I want this, and yes, I'm gonna play it, and yes, I'm like, it is going to be a new opportunity for me to tell people to play these games. Um, I am not looking forward to these games being back in the mainstream consciousness in the way that they used to be, like yeah. as, as yeah. something that is present and relevant to right now. Because even within like the first 24 hours of this thing being possible it reminded me that the sort of like way we talk about mass effect or when i say we i mean like sort of like the industry at large it has not really recovered from mass effect 3's controversy and it was like devolving into like the the memes that everyone is still like says and like you know the hot three colors you know and all these like these various things are like are mischaracterizations of things that like got so ingrained into public mm. consciousness because of all that controversy. Like, coming from, like, people with, like, huge followings, too. Like, I just, like, I... 
there's, it's almost like I wish that I could take this remaster, play it by myself, and never have to talk to anybody about it, and like ever have to have a conversation about it. Because like you know, we we here at Normandy Normandy FM, we have like very reasoned discussion and talk about all these things, but like actual real falsehoods have become so ingrained in the way that people talk about Mass Effect that I'm having like flashbacks to 2012, like being in the thick of that conversation or quote-unquote conversation and just like being on the front lines of that particular controversy and I don't like I don't I obviously don't think it's gonna blow up in the same way because like everyone kind of like the ending controversy of Mass Effect and just kind of like the ways that we have like the various things that people have kind of like latched onto about that series over the years are like so well known at this point that I don't think that they're gonna have like a second wave of you know the internet losing its absolute mind but just like I hope we can talk about these games in a more reasoned way now that we're like it's been eight years and we can actually like read the text instead of the messages on fucking Twitter. Yeah, you'd really hope that you know whatever gets put out there, it's going to open up more people to to at least discuss these things because like yeah, you know, I've said before on the podcast, I'm, I've been kind of reliving it. You know, it's it was a year ago at this point that we were doing. Our, our initial podcasts about this series and even in that space you know i still have a lot of complicated thoughts that i work through about mass effect you know it, it is a game that i think speaks a lot like to what you put into it and all that um like like how you approach it is going mm-hmm. to affect how you come out of it and and definitely there are things to, like critique and all that like uh we were i was talking with someone about it the other day and and I was like, yeah, you know, in Mass Effect Three, one part that still I still don't like is that whole thing with the forest and the the ghost kid and all that. And the I feel like that could have been done better, and and the message it's trying to get across could be portrayed better. But I'm also discussing that in terms of like, oh hey, I think this I I see what they're going for. I understand what the intention is here. I just don't like the way it's implemented. I think it could be implemented better. Um, it's not like lol starchild and that's that's kind of the frustrating thing is that a lot of this stuff gets boiled down and you there there are probably a lot of people like i know people who beat that game and never played. i mean i was for a long time i was one of the people that beat that game and never played the extended cut and never played the dlc i know people who i i know someone who i play games with frequently who was like I played up through Tachanka and they got to like the part with the Rachni and they just put it down because they were so frustrated with how the Rachni were handled in Mass Effect 3 and they've just never gone back to it since. Hmm. And like, I understand. I understand the frustration there um, because I do think there are like, we talked about them on the show that there are parts that that game mishandles. And mm-hmm. um, I think Mass Effect ultimately as a series ends up speaking like which games you come out liking a lot ends up speaking to the things that you look for in a game and the things that you want out of a video mm-hmm. game like the sort of resolutions and and uh character stories that you want from a video game because it, they are very much like character driven stories mm-hmm. at the end of the day uh, and so like that's probably why I like Mass Effect 2 more and Ken likes Mass Effect 3 more is that that just speaks to the sort of stories that we like to see in fiction and that we enjoy in fiction but uh it's i i do want to see i'm open to the idea of another round of criticism around this stuff and obviously like we've been doing it for a while like shout outs to ea 
finally recognizing Normandy <laughs> FM. <laughs> but uh, we get a special thanks at the end of the credits. Yeah, yeah, we really should. We should get a shout out in there. But uh, I, like Ken said, I'm just, I'm also at a point where I know there are going to be people who go like oh my god like oh god engage in bad three oh three color ending and stuff like Mm -hmm. that like pick your color ending and all that um and i think i think it deserves more than that right i think i think that series again i think it defines last generation i think is one of if you had to ask me like gun to my head pick a game series that is most representative of every good and bad thing of that generation of consoles it's mass effect but um and I, i'm hopeful that people will at least approach it with a more open mind and and you know open doesn't necessarily mean accepting but it does mean that like maybe accepting to or, or maybe more reasoned nuanced discussion than, yep. than what we've become accustomed to and you know there have been people out there fighting the good fight in terms of game crit work and so i would highly suggest you know, not just the websites that ken and i write for um but uh even smaller crit websites like uppercut and and into the spine which are going to have those writers that are going to give it mm. a more nuanced look and a more reasoned look than i think you would get uh from say some dude who's just going to yell at you through a webcam and say like oh mass effect 3 mm. <laughs> um you know support those that's that's the best way you could do it i think it's just to find the people who are doing the work that you appreciate and i hope you appreciate the work that we do too on on really trying to talk about these games and give them what i think is criticism that they merit and that they are worth you know heather um alexandra friend of the site or friend of the site friend of the (laughs) friend of the friend of the pod uh recently wrote a goodbye post uh she's leaving kotaku for for let's say other pastures <laughs> um which i imagine standing in some pastures is going to look like a good time but uh it's uh she's moving on to other things but she wrote a goodbye post in which she talked about how criticism is like doing a service to a game right you are acknowledging that this this work has achieved in some way and you are going to meet it with the level of critique that it deserves because at the end of the day like art deserve a good art deserves to be interpreted and discussed and picked apart and analyzed because that is an act of love and passion at the end of the day ken and i wouldn't do this every week if we didn't like these games or at least think they were worthy (laughs) of discussion in some way you know we're not going to roll in here and and do this about some random like find the hidden object game on steam every week you know (laughs) we're sorry to every find the hidden object game dev out there <laughs> just not my cup of tea but um we you know it's these things are worthy of that and so i'm hoping that they get their their just due with that but if you want to keep supporting places that do that you can always head over to our patreon patreon.com slash where you can find all of our lovely supporters where you can find that we are seeking towards that new tier to play star wars knights of the old republic knights of ye oldie republic (laughs) um where you know we're we're working our way there and and we've got some patrons backing us who got us up through jade empire now we want to start looking at star wars now we want to make ken play his favorite thing in the world Mm. star wars 
And, Dragon uh, of Georgians wasn't enough for you. You just needed to drag me through something else. <laughs> if you support us there, you will support us doing this every week. You will help keep the lights on when it comes to SoundCloud costs and all that other stuff. You'll help us pursue even newer things, even more interesting things. And also, if you support us at a certain tier, you get your name shouted out every week. As always, we love to shout them out, those folks who hit at that tier. And that is Kevin Kulikowski, Ginny Wu, Chris Johns, Anthony Mathias, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just Reds and just so glad that that's become a thing now that's (laughs) that's what we are now uh this was a very extra special extra long episode i don't think we've had one this long since we were in mass effect (laughs) three and uh but we had a lot we had a lot to talk about and we have even more to talk about next week uh ken i'm happy to confirm Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we will be talking about Fenris and Isabella with the one and only Natalie Flores, who will be returning to the show once again. We cannot have a season of Normandy event without bringing Natalie back. Always got to bring back the one and only, the favorite, the probably at this point uh, most repeat guest that we've had. That's but right. That's because she's excellent. Uh, so happy to have her back. She'll be talking all things about the one angry elf boy and also the wonderful isabella which turns she out that ken and i <laughs> what she gets a name angry elf boy and then also isabella and also isabella hey look uh we're going to have an episode where both of us have had romantic entanglements with a respective character so we're gonna have a lot to talk about because mm. we haven't talked about my tryst as it were with isabella <laughs> mm. and maybe why i'm almost wishing that i had gone with a different romance option this time around you can Damn. hear all about that next week on normandy event <laughs> We have watched and waited 